Mama. Yeah. Come and tell me some of those stories that you used to tell me about Nano and Nani and the ghosts and the spirits. Oh my God. <laughs> those were not ghosts or spirits posting. They were jinns. Hey there, I'm Amadal Yakbar, and I'm the host of the new BuzzFeed podcast, See Something, Say Something. Every week, I'll be gathering a group of really smart, funny people, we'll have some chai, tell stories, and think about big life questions. And for our second episode, we'll be talking about gin. And I don't mean the drink. If you see something, you better, you better say something. Jinns is a creation of God. It's, uh, there is a whole chapter in the Holy Book. And so he starts to read Quran and he's like, you need to leave the body. But the jinn didn't want to leave. He's like, I like this body. Come nightfall, the teenager was the only living being under that tree. The neighborhood falls between two cemeteries, one for Christians and the other for Muslims. All of a sudden, that boy who was on the floor pretending to be a horse became a real horse. She recalls things even disappearing from her lap and placed in a different location in the house. My mom mentioned that she would see me standing by the staircase, constantly talking to someone. Um, it's almost like an electric current running through my leg. So their colonies are like huge and we step on them, you know, unconsciously. We don't know because we can't see them. That's a big problem. So basically, jinn are these characters in Islamic mythology. They're made of smokeless fire. They're tricksters and troublemakers. The most famous jinn is actually Satan himself. So sometimes people think of them as demons and devils. But in American pop culture, the most famous jinn is the genie in the lamp from Aladdin. I can't kill anybody. <laughs> so don't ask. Oh, rule number two. I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. Mwah! You little punum there. Rule number three. I can't bring people back from the dead. It's not a pretty picture. I don't like doing it. So the genie in Aladdin isn't anything like the gins that I grew up with. Uh, the stories I heard were more like folklore, the kind of thing you would hear around a campfire or late at night. You heard some of that just at the beginning of the show. But since they exist in the Quran, many people feel that you have to treat them as real things. I've never actually encountered one, so I'm kind of agnostic about it all. That's why I've invited you guys, who are true believers, onto the show to see if we can shake some of my skepticism loose. So first off, I'm joined by Basim Osmani. Uh, he's actually my cousin, um, but he's more well-known as the singer and bassist for a Muslim punk band, The Kaminas. Uh, they actually do the music for the show, so he's a real friend of the show. Um, he's also a journalist and writer, and currently he's working on a short story collection of horror stories for young adults with a focus on Islamophobia and Muslim myths. Basim, how do you take your tea? I like it a little bit dark with a little bit of condensed milk in it, just a small splash of it. And then 
depending on how I feel, either enough sugar to keep the spoon straight when you put it in, or <laughs> keep the spoon straight, okay. or very little sugar at all. Versatile. <laughs> and then we're also joined by Diana Kelly Syed. She's a storyteller, writer, and paranormal investigator. She's authored two books, one about America's fascination with ghosts and a how-to guide for ghost hunters. Diana, how do you take your tea? This time of year when it starts to get a little chilly, I crave Kashmiri chai. Oh, yes. Do you take it with salt or sugar? I think that's the authenticity question usually with the stuff, with the pink stuff. It's actually green tea that's turned pink from being stirred and oxidized for so long. All right. <laughs> salt, sugar, pink. Nuts. Uh, and then we are joined by Tabir Akhtar. She's the deputy social media director at BuzzFeed. She's a producer on the show. <laughs> and a self-described future goth auntie. Tabir, how do you take your tea? Um, I take my tea at my local bodega in the form of Snapple peach iced tea because I don't like tea. Oh, gosh. This has always been a conflict for us. Yeah. I've... I offered you tea and you've rejected it many times. So let's move into our first segment. I'm going to ask all of you guys what you're thinking about this week. Uh, let's just call it see something, say something, right? That, I think, basically describes what this segment is. Diana, let's start with you. What are you thinking about this week? With everything going on in with the election and some of the comments that Donald Trump has made about women and pussy grabbing, it's made me really it's made it really easy for me to talk to my kid about consent and boundaries. He's fourteen, mm. and um, you know now when he goes out to meet his friends, I'm like, don't be a pussy grabber. Oh yeah, I, there's a lot you could say about consent and teaching kids how to do that. I we don't really talk about sex that much in my house, so. It's kind of difficult for a lot of Muslim kids. So that's really cool that you're talking to your son at such yeah. a young age about that. I try to make sure that we actually have these conversations as often as possible. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, Tabir, what are you thinking about this week? Um, so this week I made the mistake of watching way too many Netflix documentaries in a row. Um, and then I was just like, damn, the food chain is so messed up. <laughs> uh, so that's really what, what documentary I- <laughs> was that? I watched um, Cooked, which is a Netflix documentary about why humans necessarily need to be cooking Mm. um, and sort of understand that eating is like an ethical act. Yeah, I always think about that in terms of like Zabiha meat and the Zabiha meat industry, because I was always raised with this idea that the animal is not supposed to know that it's going to be killed and it's supposed to be as relaxing as possible. But then it's like there's a huge industry that Probably hasn't been analyzed that much, and it's. I'm curious, like, what is actually happening? I've heard that, you know, they have a like a speaker that just says the Bismillah, the prayer over each animal as yeah. it dies, as opposed to like an actual person. We always think about what we eat, but we never really think about what what we eat eats. Yeah. Um, and just that's sort of like part of zabiha and halal, and like understanding like there's like principles and ethics to like every act. Right. And like food especially, and it's just something that we've been so sort of, you know, removed from. Basim, what are you thinking about this week? Uh, Just getting in the seasonal spirit. I've been interested in general in the creepy and crawly and in scaring myself. I think 
partially because the election is rolling up and all of this ugly, boring, scary, really genuinely like terrifying, exhausting stuff has been preoccupying my mind for so many months that now that it's coming to a close, I can finally concentrate on what matters, which are, you know, ghosts and um, <laughs> vampires and stuff. So like... I'm really enjoying um, the season. It gives me like a chance to like really be about my interests and not be out of place. This is like 30 days and I count them down. As soon as they run up, I'm like a weirdo again. But for I, right now, I'm apropos. I was really pleased when we walked into the room and everyone was wearing black and leather. <laughs> like every single person. I was like, yes, we're here for the October episode. Everyone's seasonally dressed. So this week, I'm thinking about gins because obviously that's our topic. And I've been doing research and looking into them. And I think one thing that's interesting about them is that gin stories are something that uh, kind of connects a lot of Muslims around the world because everyone, everyone's mom has a good gin story. Everybody's grandma has a good gin story. And they're really fascinating. Um, so I've just been thinking about that, trying to prepare for, for this episode. Um, and before we start, though, I just want to, like, make a disclaimer, which is this is everyone's personal interpretation. We're going to talk about this later. Um, but, you know, jinns are in the Quran. <laughs> so there are something that has a religious <laughs> element to them. So I don't want anyone to feel like they're speaking authoritatively. You know, we can just, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want anyone to get in trouble for anything they say <laughs> about jinns on you. <laughs> so just let's just keep that in mind. Okay. So I think to start it off, just to get the spooky tone right, um, Basim has brought a story that is in his family um, that I had heard a, a, a couple weeks back. Um, and he's going to tell us tell it to us, and then we're going to start talking about jinns more broadly. So Basim, why don't you take it away? So uh, before the partition of Pakistan happened um, and before World War One, sometime around the early like side of 1900, uh, my great grandfather, Qari Abu Muhammad Moyul Islam Usmani. Intense name. Intense name. Beautiful name. Beautiful name, yeah. Qari Abu Muhammad Moyul Islam Usmani. He was one of the foremost authorities in uh, Quranic recitation in uh, Kirat when he died. But around this time that the story takes place, he was about 20 years old. It's the 1900s, and he's becoming a well-known uh, Kirit Quranic reciter in Panipat, where he's from. And in the book that is about this story called Panipat Kikahani, it describes... Which is written by who? Tell us. Uh, so Panipat Kikahani, which translates to the story of Panipat, is a story, is a compilation of stories that my grandfather heard from my great-grandfather that have been put lovingly into a series of books what ended up happening was, is that my great-grandfather and his friends, when they were growing up in their 20s in Panipat, they used to hang out in between their lessons and, it, and in between their work at this clubhouse that they used to play board games at and just sort of talk throughout the night, which they would lock up before they would leave and then go home. Um, what ended up happening was this week went by where they would open up their clubhouse to hang out and all of the board games and all of the items in the room, like their books and stuff, would just be scattered across the floor like someone had like gone in and ransacked the place on purpose. They initially assumed that it must be one of them. Someone's playing a prank. Something's happening. So my great-grandfather, Gadi Abu Muhammad Mayul Islam Usmani, 
um, <laughs> throw some respect on his name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was tasked with spending nights at the clubhouse and then visiting the clubhouse when he couldn't. And one of these nights that my great-grandfather visited the clubhouse, he came across an old man inside the room. And the old man inside the room calmly told him that that had been his residence for a long time and that he was feeling a little cramped that these young 20-something boys were in there playing board games in his living space. And my great-grandfather pushed back and said, well, who are you? Like, where'd you come from? This is our place where we hang out. Like, what are you doing here in in this room at 3 a.m. awake anyway? And this old man then, this is where it gets a little foggy. Either he was a giant to begin with, (laughs) or he begins stretching right in front of my great-grandfather, like just stretching, like physically his proportions, like alter in front of him. And my great-grandfather gets scared and runs away. This piques his interest, though. So he begins asking questions of his kirat teacher, his Quran, his recitation teacher. Like, what was it that I saw? What was that thing? Like, you know, there's something at our clubhouse, and it's just, like, really scaring the crap out of us. Like, what's going on? And his teacher said, well, it probably, most likely is a jinn. He said that there's certain surahs in the Quran, and like these are never specified in these stories, helpfully. But <laughs> there's certain surahs in the Quran that you can read. I mean, most famously is Ayatul Kursi, that you can read um, to dispel evil spirits and jinns. So, apparently he does this, and the clubhouse returns somewhat to normal. But it sparks something inside Kari Abu Muhammad Moyal Islam Usmani that makes him think there's something like the truth is out there kind of feeling. I'm just assuming that that's how he's feeling. He goes to his teacher and he's like, I've heard that you can summon these things, that they become your servants or that they become your companions if you read certain things out of the Quran. Is this possible? And his teacher pushed back and said, you really don't want to do this. You really don't like, you know, it's a long procedure and who knows how it's going to go. But my great grandfather is unrelenting. So finally, his teacher just like buckles down and opens up the Quran and points out the certain verses that he has to read and gives him instructions. And the instructions were that he should sit in a graveyard for 40 nights in a ring of salt I'd be like, nope, I'm done at that (laughs) point. You just go there late at night to post up at this graveyard in a ring of salt to recite certain verses of the Quran in a certain order. And just Um, at night, right? And just at night. He would spend his day normal. Yeah, his day would be normal, and then he would just, as soon as he clocked out, at the graveyard in a ring of salt. So what ends up happening is about 10 nights go by, 15 nights go by, nothing has happened. He's kind of getting... The hang of the thing, the graveyard's no longer that um, mysterious if you go there every night for two weeks. He's starting to get a little bit too big for his britches until, until he starts hearing the sounds of animal snorting and the sounds of, <laughs> of like just, it sounds like there's cattle in the graveyard. There's a clop of hoofs on the ground. There's something there, and he's looking in the darkness. His eyes have adjusted to the light, but he can't see anything there. He's just sitting in this circle reading the Quran. One night, it happens that 
He's reading the Quran and he starts hearing a stampede building up from the distance. And he's just like looking left and right and he doesn't see anything. It's still like the same serene graveyard late at night. But the next day he goes to his Qadi's hub and he goes, well, well Qadi, like, what is this? Like, is this, are, are these really, are these definitely jinns, right? These are totally jinns. They have to be. And the Qadi's <laughs> like, yeah, they, they definitely are. Like, be careful. <laughs> My great grandfather returns to the graveyard. Um, still, miraculously, he's not scared yet. He goes there and he starts seeing, like for the last 10 nights of the 40 that he's supposed to be there, he starts seeing tents get pitched up inside the graveyard. Just like nondescript tents, like little cloth hut, you know, hanging off a tree and people living inside. And he just sees these tents, he doesn't really make much of them, he just like stays there reading the Quran. And then the Quran will protect you, right? Yeah. Like, Your great grandfather sounds like every person in a horror movie. We're yeah. like, this no. isn't suspect at all. He's like, I'll be fine. I'm <laughs> the salt ring. I've got Ayatol Kursi, right? I've got Ayatol Kursi. So at one point, some ladies begin to emerge from the tent holding on to babies. It, he sees something like 40 of these women, like somehow miraculously, like filing out of these tents with babies. And he's still reading the Quran, still watching. And then what's written in the story is, is he sees one of these women take a bite, take a big, meaty Jesus bite Christ. out of the child in her arms. And oh. that's the moment. That's the moment where my great grandfather, Qari Abu Muhammad Mayul Islam Usmani, <laughs> faints in the ring of salt. When he comes to, his teacher is there, and he's like, thank God, thank God that you're waking up in the ring of salt. Because if so much as a hair of you had landed outside that ring, they would have driven you insane. They would have dragged you to another realm. They would have eaten you. They would have done whatever it is that jinns do. I'm still trying to figure out what they do. So what I think is oh so interesting. God. I know, it's crazy. C.C. Ryan Murphy, <laughs> that was crazy. And also it's crazy that like a lot of people have their own jinn stories from their parents. That's written down. Like your grandfather listened to his dad, you know, tell that story and wrote it down to preserve it. Yeah. This ring of salt thing. I, I see that in comic books and horror movies. I didn't think it would happen in like pre-partition India in the 1900s. Mm-hmm. I've traveled through the Muslim world and I've asked people to tell me their jinn stories. And the idea that jinn can be controlled by going to a secluded place and drawing a circle around you, that is a story I've encountered in almost every Muslim culture wow. where I've asked this question. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know if there is a, some obscure hadith that gives those instructions, I don't know. And the ring of salt is also cross-cultural as a barrier between you and the unseen. Um, in a lot of pagan and Native American traditions, that's used to sort of protect the person. It's very interesting. Um, before we move on, I want us to have like, just talk about like, what are jinns? Dabir and I were talking about it, like, basically the idea that jinn are real. And the reason why people think jinn are real is because uh, they show up in the Quran a lot. And if you are a Muslim and you believe that the Quran is something that God spoke to Muhammad, peace be upon him, then it has to, you have to accept jinns as fact. You know, they're not just a fairy tale. So I also just think it's like a basic premise of faith of yeah. knowing there's things that exist outside of what you experience with your physical body. Like if you, you know, subscribe to any Abrahamic religion, you're sort of opting into this idea that there's something that I don't see physically, but I know the presence of or believe in the presence of. And I feel like jinn are 
you know, just in line with that sort of belief. The word jinn, I think, comes from the root for hidden. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, So I'm going to just give you some of these ayas so we can, like, have something also to base off of. So in Surah 15, 26, uh, the, the verse is, We have created the human being from hardened clay of aged mud. The jinns, we created him before that from the flames of fire. There's this uh, hadith, I'm not sure how verifiable it was, but we heard it in Islamic Center about um, the prophet of Islam um, reciting some Quran and some jinns listening. Mm. And then the jinns converting, and then the jinns going to other jinns and being like, you know, there's a new prophet after Musa, after Moses, which kind of implies that they're talking to Jewish jinns, you know, right. they're followers of Musa. Right. And if there's Jewish jinns, there's Christian jinns, there's probably yeah. Sikh jinns, there's probably <laughs> Hindu jinns, <laughs> Buddhist jinns. Let me just jump in real quick because yeah. I actually that was the last one I was going to flag. Is oh. there's a surah? I believe it's called Surah Al Jinn, but in this version, this copy I have, it doesn't have the names because those are also like sort of. I'm not necessarily agreed on, but on Surah 72, the first line is, say, it has been inspired to me that a group of jinns were listening. They said, we have heard an interesting recitation or Quran. It guides to what is correct, so we acknowledged it, and we will not set up anyone with our Lord. Um, Exalted is the majesty of our Lord. He has not taken a wife nor a son. So basically, exactly what you're saying. They heard the Quran and they converted. So I kind of want to talk about that with you, Diana, is like, it seems like when I read the Quranic references to the jinns, they're not like these horror show creatures. Some of them are good and some of them are bad and they're just like people. Knowing that, I never saw them as necessarily any more scary than a person. Mm. So I, I really want to hear what you've encountered like along that lines. Well, there's a couple things I want to point out that when I, I was in Egypt once and Egypt has a cottage industry of white magic in a sense, like if a woman's infertile, she'll go did, did to the Did you say white and, magic? Yeah, oh, white, ma- white magic. Huh. And I was talking to a psychologist who studied the industry and he said, you know, jinn, we think of them as this interdimensional being, but all it is is something, in his opinion, something we can't see that can impact us. And you can't see viruses and microbes. Um, But yet they have power over us as humans. So I thought that was an interesting analogy for people who may be leaning to the skeptical side of things. But I, for me, and going through different um, ghost investigations and some in the United States, I will tell you the two biggest differences culturally is anything weird that happens in the Muslim world, it's jinn. That's it. It's Mm. jinn. But in the U.S., people would never think of jinn. They would say, oh, it's ghosts or, I don't know, aliens or Bigfoot or whatever. But coming to like a quantum physics perspective, and I've thought about this a lot, and I hate to bring quantum physics into the discussion right now. I'm always down to listen to quantum physics. I love quantum physics. One of the the best explanations I've heard possibly for Jinn is that, yes, they are interdimensional beings, and we live in a multiverse, and somehow they're able just to slip through the barriers where we're not because they're made of plasma, of some sort Mm. of plasma which kind of makes sense. If they're made from smokeless fire, then I, I mean, that kind of resonates with me in a way. Uh, and I, another really common theme that I've encountered throughout the Muslim world is jinn falling in love with humans. Mm. I've heard that and too. It, yeah, yeah. There's a... And in Egypt, I was actually in Luxor and our guide was telling us this story. And then he took me to another guard whose cousin had been possessed by jinn. And he said, yes, it was a Christian jinn, and she fell in love with my cousin. So 
it's always like a the stories I've heard. It's always been an inter a cross-religious type of conflict because it's well, always a gen of cross-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Think of all the like barriers to love here, but like the gin, they were always of a different faith. Mm. It's like I don't know, opposites attract. But I that's really interesting to me. It's like people use the language somehow to talk about differences in our society. And and ghost and gin and these kind of issues often serve from from a narrative perspective. They serve as a device to name the things that we don't have a language for. Yeah, which, like I said, I'm agnostic about gins, but I am not agnostic about the fact that like the world is more complicated than what we perceive. And in that sense, yeah. I think gins are very interesting. Looks yeah. like oh yeah, they're Absolutely. also from what I'm hearing, just so much more similar to people than different. Like. Right. They care about their property. They care about falling in love. <laughs> um, and I also, that's something that like, as a kid, you're just always scared. Like, because every story is framed as like, you know, them being evil or trying to possess you. But something that sort of interests me most about jinns is that it sort of like brings me back down to earth, sort of ironically, where it's like, oh, wow, like. I have a very specific role in this universe and they have a very specific mm. role in this universe. Mm. And their test is like with these abilities, like it reminds you of Marvel superheroes. Like every single sort of uh, show is like, you have all these abilities. Now you have all these responsibilities and like, don't act a fool. And like, I feel like that's sort of, <laughs> that, that's like a nice update on the Spider-Man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Life in the Marvel universe is a test. Yeah. It's and like, I guess in the gin world it is too, where it's like, you're made of, you're made of smokeless fire. Try not to possess anyone. Let's yeah. see how you do. What's really cool just from a religious and cultural perspective is like a lot of Muslims, if you ask them, even if they haven't thought a lot about the jinn, they'll be like, well, yeah, these things exist. Like, so what? They don't assign necessarily a negative or positive value. It's just part of the created world. Yeah. Whereas Christians have, you know, some some Christians have these existential crises about these things because they don't have a language for it. But at least Muslims, at least we have that. Well, you know, what's another funny thing, Diana, is like you were talking about how a lot of the supernatural stuff is ascribed to jinns. I have like this distinct memory of being in a class, like an Urdu class basically with a bunch of other Pakistani kids. And the story was about a bhut, which is like a ghost, and a churail, mm -hmm. which is like a witch. We read the whole story. And the teacher, who is also South Asian, not Pakistani, but he was like, just to be clear, Booth and Shirail are not real. This mm -hmm. is a story uh, not, not about a real thing. And everyone else is like, yes, but jinns are real. It's like there's all these other supernatural stuff that are like really hazy on what we're supposed to think. But the jinn is the core of like the supernatural understanding for a, a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like these are also like negative, like all of these slants on jinn a little bit. Um, like you people trying are, to reclaim the gin bossim. Well, no, I mean, I just think I just I mean, you just listen to like how people are to other people, and it's yeah. just like yeah. ignorance leads to so much fear. Like people pe are scary as well. You know? like, They're spooky as fuck. People but, are so spooky. Yeah. Like it's so hard to describe. Like like sometimes you see like uh, like you know some angry dude from a small town in America talking about Islam like it's a death cult. Like you know people are trying to kill each other. So I mean, I see how jinns also may have gotten like an unearned like reputation. And in the Quran, there's like references to like different degrees, it seems, of jinns. I think that the two designations that I came across was Ifrit and Ghul, 
and ghul is where the word ghul comes is mm. descended from. But a lot of these things are like bad translations. Um, a lot of stuff like if I'm in a Wikipedia hole, I usually end up upset like nine times by the end of it because <laughs> there's like usually so much difference between what I knew before and then what I come away with. And one of the things was um, even the word Baphomet, like the satanic symbol, like the goat inside the pentagram, is apparently a perversion of the word Muhammad, like M-A-H-O-M-E-T. And that people thought that the Muslims were a death cult in Europe. So with this like miss pronunciation of Muhammad into Baphomet to the, the goat's head in the pentagram. There's like a very weird cultural mistranslation happening between the East and the West. And I see it um, even in I the West. that's what we're sort of talking about as well. Is yeah. Like how jinns yeah. are becoming spooky stories as opposed to this more, I think really way more interesting thing yeah. that I feel like they are. And it's sort of at the root of a lot of these like um, supernatural creatures is, you know, you don't know about the unknown or like what's coming from the East. Like whether we're talking about vampires or jinns or, or any of these stories, so yeah. much of them are like, oh, these are primitive cultures and primitive customs and things we don't understand. It really does feel like a metaphor for just the way people function in general. It's like we don't trust what we can't see. We don't like things that are different than mm-hmm. us. And so then we create these like, your narratives of like hate and evil. And I think that's like the least interesting part about jinns is that yeah. they're bad. I will just throw in that at least in the West, uh, interest in the paranormal has always spiked during times of cultural upheaval and profound social right. social change. So it absolutely makes sense in some ways that people gravitate towards the woo-woo when they're, when they're confused and scared and it, it ends up representing their fears. Hmm. That's a really good point. That's a like major argument in your book, as I understand it. Yeah. My thesis for my book was that people responded to paranormal reality TV, like shows like Ghost Hunters and things like that, as a response to 9-11. Americans were trying to make sense of their identity, and these mm-hmm. ghost shows offered armchair metaphysics and a way to name the things that we feared. And right now, I think Muslims are probably the scariest thing in America, according <laughs> to a lot of Americans. Yeah, it's like an invisible hate, right, that mm-hmm. you can't precisely track. Okay, so can we talk about jinn in America? Uh, Are they different here or do they exist in the same way as they do in the Muslim world? Like, so I grew up, I'm Pakistani, with a very specific sort of like understanding of jinns. And what my mom used to tell me, which is like the lazy mom thing to do, is that they're not in America. (laughs) Um, Classic immigration issues. They didn't get their green card. (laughs) Nope. And so it's not for you to worry about. It was mostly like her just being like, don't bother me with this shit. Um, But then once in a while, we'd like convince our aunts or our grandparents to like really dig deep. That was sort of just like the, the context that I had for a while growing up that, oh, they exist. They're not in America. I don't know. The climate here isn't good for them. <laughs> um, same, though. Uh, and then, but then a few years ago, I had an experience, and I don't know what it was, um, but I think it was that. I was at my grandparents' house in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, so wrong mom. They do come to America. <laughs> um, it was me and my sister. We were waiting for our grandmother and our aunt to come back home. My grandparents house has like this long narrow hallway um, and to the left is a door that goes into her room and then there's a door in the kitchen so we had the door of the kitchen closed and we were waiting for them to come home 
and we hear, and the door is closed, so we can only really hear what's happening on the other side of the door. And we hear the front door open, um, footsteps, and then someone entered the left side of the room. And so we're like, oh, great, Ummi's here. And then the door of her room is like shaking. And no one is there. And when my grandmother and my aunt finally came back home, we told them and they were like, oh my God, that's that's so weird. But at the same time, my grandmother was like, oh, cool. Like that happened because she's like old world. Right, right. <laughs> where like she's heard stories where like people have like stretched from like the roof. It was just you and your sister when it that was door was shaking? me and my sister. And like oh my I... You couldn't open the door or anything? There was like a force oh. pushing back against it. And like our blood ran cold and we we're just like, wow, we mom lied. <laughs> they are in America. <laughs> I actually just wanted to point out something really interesting is... Uh, we put out a call for gin stories. We got a lot of people who basically said, I have a ton of gin stories, but I'm scared to tell them because telling them will attract them. <laughs> and I, I thought that was so fascinating as well. It's like, you know, it's like once you open yourself up to the possibility that there's these invisible things, it's like the invisible becomes overwhelming as well. Yeah. Just to speak on that, that's sort of part of it where it's like the more you talk about them, They'll come to you, mm. which is like a funny thing. I think it's really cute. They like attention. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> I feel like my gin experiences are so long ago that I don't remember any of them. Like my mom definitely tried to send me to like Muslim camps to like shore up that identity. <laughs> and we definitely told someone I got spooked, but I can't remember any. Um, Diana, do you have any stories that you've personally experienced? Or like what's your personal feeling on gins? Yeah, you know, because I was a paranormal investigator, I have tons of experience. And I will say that if jinn do exist as these interdimensional beings, I think that if they cross over, it's not always because they're bad or good. They're just curious. Mm. They just want to peek in and say, what's up? I mean, wouldn't we do that if we had the ability? Maybe they're not scared of us. That's the real issue here. Or maybe they are. I don't know. Anyhow. I was on an investigation in rural Virginia, and it was an old farmhouse, and across the road in a field was an old cemetery, and we had walked to the cemetery. It was 1130 at night, clear, very just clear evening. The moon was in the sky, and it was just a beautiful night, and the cemetery was in a field, and there were no trees, so there was nothing to cast a shadow, and as we were in the graveyard at the grave of the original owner of the home, um, it was me, someone else, and an 11-year-old boy who lived in the home, and he was the reason the parents had called us to come in because he was seeing things around the house and hearing things. Mm. And as we're standing there, I look through the the graveyard, and at the edge of the graveyard is this, like, seven-foot-tall shadow figure. And there's no trees, so there's no... No trees. Like, there's there's no cows or anything. Like, there's nothing to cast a shadow. And it's incredibly tall and incredibly dense, like thick, thick black and solid. And I'm looking straight at it. And you know you're sane when you see these things and you question it. You're like, that's not really happening. But I'm seeing it. Right, right. So you know you're not imagining it. And I didn't say anything. I didn't want to freak the kid out. And then about 10 seconds later, the kid's like, oh, my God, that's it. That's the thing I see in my house all the time. The black shadow. Yeah. Oh it wasn't a shadow. It was a black bean. It was mm. a this full-bodied, dense black thing Wait, that was you, about seven feet tall. You're saying it had, like, depth? Like, it, it was, like, standing? It wasn't on flat? No, it was completely three-dimensional. It was the shape of a big shadow-type man that was standing at the edge of the graveyard observing us. Mm. And it was almost like I acknowledged it and it acknowledged me, but I 
I was like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, what do you do once you said hello psychically? Do you mm. then just pretend it's not there? So, yeah, that was really bizarre. And it, it was cool to me in a way because there was another witness. If I had just seen it myself, you know, whatever, it's imagination. But when the child saw it and he said, I see this around my house, Ooh. then that gave it some weight. Could you talk, tell, talk, tell us a little bit more about that child? I'm sorry. I'm stammering. I'm so interested. Like, like, <laughs> Basim, like, I'm so, cold now. I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, Basim's face was doing gymnastics thinking about it. He was like, oh, man, this is real. This is real stuff. Yeah. I mean, he was an 11-year-old kid. Then he was a really well-behaved child, and they had his family had moved into an old farmhouse. It was a beautiful home. It was renovated and quite nice. And he started seeing these shadow figures come through the night. He started seeing things stand beside his bed, which is actually a really common case, a really common experience for a lot of people. He was hearing voices and having people, uh, hearing people go up and down the stairs. And he wasn't so much scared as he was curious. They were experiencing people knock on the door and when they opened it, nobody was there. And as we did research and they did their own research, we found that previous tenants had experienced the same thing. You, You know, it's so funny hearing about it from a child's perspective too, is like when I was 10 or 11, that fear that I fear of the unknown, I had that of people as well. Like, mm, you know, like the yeah. idea that there's these scary people out there. Stranger danger. And like confidence to like interact with them wasn't there. It's like, what do I do when something I can't understand or control or predict, I encounter it. And it could be a human being. And it, that same like pit in your stomach also that you're describing, Diana. I feel like I lost that from people as I grew up. And as a result, also maybe like the you know unknown as well you can imagine if you're like in seventh century arabia there's so much that's unknown when the quran was being written you're in a harsh environment and the jinns are real because they are sort of in your like the unpredictable and the unknown is just a part of your everyday life yeah and they fill in a gap in language when you don't really know what's going on Mm. they give a great stopper and what's you know if we could shift the language not only about jinn but anything that we are afraid of. And instead of seeing it as something that we should turn our backs on or view as distrust, it's an opportunity to wonder. Like there's still, there there are still things in this world that we don't fully understand. There's still amazement and wonderment and questions that haven't been answered. And these are opportunities. And I think it's really cool when we hear these stories because not everything is figured out. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to like, use the jinns are are everywhere kind of explanation for things especially like you mentioned quantum physics you know that whole thing about particles existing in two places at one time Mm -hmm. sounds exactly like something a jinn would do (laughs) like just just to kind of mess with the scientists like (laughs) i was over here and now i'm here you you know actually i'm sorry i i'm also sort of gonna jump here because i just remembered i actually do have a supernatural experience that i completely forgot about i always forget that this happens like sort of like you it happens happen and it feels so unreal but it wasn't in america so i'm sorry (laughs) i know i just asked that question Uh, I was studying abroad in India, and okay, so also me and Basim are related. (laughs) So I was in Panipat, this place where uh, that first story happened, right? Yeah. So I was in Panipat, and I go to the mosque that our family attended. My mother, who you know passed away like six years ago, was always her dream to go. So this is like two years after she's passed. I go to India, and I'm like, I have to go to Panipat. So I go by myself, and everyone just says, go to the mosque first. So I go to the mosque, and they're playing. Gavali, there's like people singing. It happens very often at mosques, like on Thursdays, the day before Jummah. Uh, there's not that many people there. It's Panipat is now like mostly Hindu because of partition. But the 
thing that was just so I just had never experienced this before and I like couldn't help staring but I also like didn't know what to do either was that there was just a really like young girl like 14 or 15 and her hair was straight down her face covering her eyes and she was sitting in a kind of very unusual position like Mm -hmm. sort of like like her legs sort of parallel to her body I guess like not in an inhuman way but and she was (laughs) rocking like very intensely, something I've never ever seen in a mosque before. And there was an old woman with her who kept just pulling her hair back out of her face because she was so out of control of her body that her hair kept falling in her face. And she was very young and completely by herself beside this old woman. Everyone else was men. That was the other thing. Like Mm. everybody else there was men, but there was this woman. And I asked my family, they said it was this thing called hall, which like translates to situation. But uh, I don't really know what that means because <laughs> I wasn't raised <laughs> with this idea of hall. Yeah. I mean, I had never seen anything like that before. And I'm not saying it's a jinn or not, but Where it's she like. she was just like in a spiritual fit of just like moving. It seemed like something more than that. I don't mm. know. It's one of those things where it's like, I'm telling you, but I can't also explain to you what it was like. One thing I've heard um, is that jinn, if they do take human form and they can't. When they take the human form, something will be off. Like, it won't be complete. Yeah. So that, you know, that's kind of a... Yeah, a, maybe... A bet, poor simulation. The dis- yeah, yeah, poor yeah. simulations. <laughs> uh, yeah. A, a break in the matrix. I don't know. And there's always, like, preventative measures that you can take to make sure they're not going to fuck with you. My grandmother used to say, like, don't leave your hair open. Like, put it in a braid because yep. they like hair. Hmm. All of these things sort of, like, shrouded in, like, hmm. these stories. So we wanted to hear more gin stories. So I asked a bunch of people on Facebook and Twitter to submit their stories. Uh, you heard a few of them at the beginning of the show. They were all really, really, really interesting. Um, but the one that was the most interesting, <laughs> I think, Basim, you should hear about, uh, is was sent by one of our family members about one of our shared great-great-grandfathers who bargained with a jinn after teaching the jinn's child Quran and comes out of it with a deal with the jinns to protect his family line for seven generations. Basim, did you know that we're protected by jinns? Um, well, it definitely is not doing a great job in the case of my life. Because <laughs> jinns are messing with you all the time. <laughs> They're definitely not protecting me. I feel like it's more a case of negligence than malfeasance. Like, but but it, they're, they're seven pretty... generations is a long time. Also, props to your great great grandfather for bargaining with the jinn. Like, yeah, that was a smart move. Smart. Yeah. But was he really that good based on the performance he of jinns in my life? The rest of it is on you guys. <laughs> So if you want to hear those submitted gin stories, we have a piece on BuzzFeed.com. You can go to my page or the See Something, Say Something page. Uh, There's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. So uh, I think we only have a couple of minutes left. Any any final thoughts on jinns? Yeah, are... not every snake is a jinn, <laughs> <laughs> but but low level jinns definitely prefer to come as snakes. I feel like Bossom is like the low key publicist for all jinns, like <laughs> or as a jinn himself. Yeah, there's like they're not all bad. <laughs> 
they get a bad rap. But... I mean, I just, I just understand a little bit about what it's like to be misunderstood. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he can sympathize with the gin. Yeah, got bad rap, and they know like way more languages than me. So why would I hate them? You know. Diana, any last thoughts? Yeah, I have to agree. I think gin are probably just. Like everybody else, some of them are awful, some of them are assholes, some of them are great, and most of them are just kind of bored and they want to have fun. Yeah. And I know I said I'm agnostic, but we just spent an hour and a half uh, talking about them and everyone told me not to talk about them because they're going to come. So I just want to apologize if we've offended any gins in the audience who are on the iTunes store <laughs> or in this room right now. Um well, I want to thank you guys for being here. It's been an awesome conversation, uh, and I learned a lot. I think I realized that I had also been like locking away that fear. You know what I mean? It, it, because it was easier to. So I think in a way, it was, this conversation was really good to think about the things that we lock away about the unknown in order to feel safe. You know, but the world is an unknown place. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for that. So this week we were joined by Tabir Akhtar. You can follow her at Tabir, at T-A-B-I-R. Thanks for coming on, Tabir. Thanks for having me, Evan. No, no problem. Anytime. And Basim Asmani. You can follow him at Basi Roti, at B-A-S-I-R-O-T-I. Thanks for coming on, Basim. Thanks for having me, Ahmed. Finally, of course, we were joined by Diana Kelly Said. You can follow her at Diana Kelly at D-E-O-N-N-A-K-E-L-L-I. And Diana, also, you have an essay out that people might be interested in hearing. Could you tell us about that? Yes, I have a feature at yesweekly.com. It's a local Greensboro, North Carolina alternative weekly about the cultural importance of ghost stories. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Diana. Thank you. This episode of See Something, Say Something was produced by Eleanor Kagan and Megan Dietrich. The BuzzFeed Audio Pod Squad also includes Julia Ferlin and Meg Kramer. Additional production support by Tabir Achter. That's me. <laughs> uh, thanks to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios in New York City and April Roland at Roland Professional Sound in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Our music is by The Caminas, which Basim is a member of. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, at RadBrownDads, and I have a Tumblr of the same name, RadBrownDads. If you want to hear or read more gin stories, you can go to my page on BuzzFeed, buzzfeed.com slash and you can check out all the submissions. And you can keep sending us gin stories at something at buzzfeed.com because we will definitely listen. If you like the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you for listening. All these stories make me want to pee. Same. Right? <laughs> Same. <laughs> I don't know it's, if it's the water or the fear, but... What if it's a gin pee? Like, you know, oh like you think it's a pee, and then you're there, and you're like, must have been a gin. <laughs>